Welcome to SETI Lads, where we explore all things crypto, finance, and more. I'm your host, Jesse Eckel, and today on the podcast, we have Cameron Armstrong talking about AI replacing our jobs, what that will look like, and why he thinks in the future, everyone will be some type of creator. This episode was really interesting. We talk a lot about uh, AI and how it's changing work, some of the jobs that AI is going to destroy. AI royalties for celebrities who maybe license themselves, their likeness or their voice for music or ads or movies or TV shows. And so it's them, they're acting in these movies or they're they're acting in these ads, but it's not actually them. They're not they never actually do these things. It's all AI generated content and what that might look like in, in a world when anyone can create AI content of anyone. Uh, you know, we saw that recently with the Drake song that came out where it was a, a Drake song that sounded like Drake, uh, it sounded like his style of music, but it wasn't really him. It was completely AI generated. The, you know, music company took that down the, the, um, production company, I don't, the music producer took it down and, um, you know, they're saying it's copyright, but it, it, it you know, was just all AI generated content. So what's, what is that going to look like? As well as we talk about Web3, the creator economy, uh, you know, decentralization, crypto, and how all of this interfaces with AI and how it interfaces with the creator economy and some of the new things that this, all these technologies converging on, on are going to allow in in the space and, and for the future of work and entrepreneurship and create uh, being a creator as we know it. And we're going to get to all of that right after we hear from some of these amazing sponsors that make this episode possible. Stoic AI is a secure, fully integrated web and mobile trading app. Executing trades based on sophisticated AI technology, it's like a chat GBT for your financial portfolio. Stoic connects with the Binance or Coinbase account, enabling seamless trading and portfolio management while you live life on your own terms. To get started, simply open a new exchange account, add some funds, connect the API, and let Stoic handle the rest. Stoic AI benefits include funds never leave your exchange account, withdraw at any time with no penalty, no portfolio limits, 24-7 automatic trading, and regular rebalancing. Visit Stoic.ai for more details and to sign up for free today. We have Cameron Armstrong, son of Brian Armstrong, and older brother to Ben Armstrong, aka BitBoy Crypto, on the podcast today. How's it going, Cameron? It's going great. How are you doing, man? Doing good. And obviously, uh, you're not related to Brian Armstrong, and you're not related to Ben Armstrong. I was just joking. I, it's just so funny how many like uh, weird Armstrongs have gotten into crypto. I don't know what it is about your. <laughs> yeah, no. Your lineage, I, when but... I when I was looking at this space for the first time, I was just like, man, I really hope I'm successful enough that people confuse us. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so AI is taking off like crazy right now. I feel like, you know, every time I open up Twitter, there is a new update of of some new advancement in AI. A lot of people are worried about their jobs being replaced. And a lot of people are saying over the next five to 10 years, we will see many jobs, many office jobs and, and jobs people do every day, absolutely obliterated and replaced by AI. And so I was just going to ask you up front, uh, you know, what are some jobs that you see possibly getting replaced by AI or robotics or blockchain? Um, just what are some jobs you see being replaced by technology over the next five to 10 years? Yeah, so the, the way that I think about jobs getting replaced by AI uh, is much less like a robot comes in and takes over the thing that was happening before and much more like 
a specific person can now do like three things, five things, 10 things that you like formerly took 10 people to do. And so like the, the job replacement piece is more like a shifting of how organizations work. So that's like upfront. Um, but the things that I think people should kind of be paying attention to is like, if you do something that is basically the same thing over and over again, whether it's like take orders and then, you know, file them the, like in a specific way, or like you generate a report every week that like somebody else looks at, or you do these things that are like naturally what computers are good at, but like we haven't really had the interface interfaces to like do that last mile of making it a computer doing the full thing. Like, like those last mile things, like that's the real power of text interfaces. Like if anyone's played with chat GPT, the thing, like you could do some of these things well before chat GPT blew up, you know, five months ago, but like you couldn't do it by typing, like just, you know, in plain text. And like, that's the big jump. And so it's much less about like, everything's going away and nobody's gonna have a job and much more about like, you don't have to like learn how to code to do X, Y, Z. All you got to do is type, take these, you know, hundred bullet points, summarize all of them and put them in 10 and like, boom, that like copywriter or whatever, like that job that used to take a day now takes like 30 minutes. Got it. But don't you see with something like that, you know, like for example, you know, it does code, it does do copywriting. It does. I've seen tools now that can generate a website from a couple lines of text. So wouldn't that replace all these companies uh, that do uh, website development? The, you know, a lot of these developer teams that, you know, you need 10 people on the team, like you said, uh, now it's one guy and he doesn't really have to have that much developer experience. Um, wouldn't that mean in general, like those other nine jobs are gone and that one guy that's left is getting paid, you know, potentially a, a lot less because a lot more people can now fulfill that role. So if we like look at how technology has like shifted, whether it's like pre-industrial revolution into like having machine factories, like I think now what we actually see is big companies have like multiple years of kind of like being scared to use chat GPT in some ways, like, like other than really specific things like, um, like, uh, DoorDash integrating it into like buying groceries or whatever, like aside from really specific use cases, companies that like just want to use this AI stuff, like they have years of talking with lawyers to be like, Hey, can we do this? Because we don't know what it's trained on. So I think like, the impending doom uh, scenario like feels a little bit um, like less obvious to me based on just like how I know big companies operate. But for smaller companies, I think like early stage startups stop going from like the team of three immediately hiring 20 people when they can, like like when they have the money to do it to more like they hire like two or three really sharp engineers. Um, and so there's a bad version of it, like a, a black mirror version of it, where like those jobs just don't exist. But there's also kind of like the solar punk version of it, which I kind of subscribe to where like, okay, instead of it taking 20, you know, engineers or like 20 people to do this one thing, you just actually have 20 startups or something like that. And so like the the power of an individual to kind of like unlock the the ability to do a lot more in less amount of time, like could be zero sum. And like, there are some circumstances where that's probably the case. I honestly think like marketing copy editing is probably one of the big spaces where like the, the value of the median copy editor is kind of going to zero, but like that doesn't have to be the end of the world because it basically like can unlock the, the latent demand is kind of a concept that, that people have been throwing around. But like, 
anywhere where people wanted more of this stuff to happen, like legal services is a, is a big one that I think Packy McCormick has been talking about. Like all you're doing is basically making it more like making more of these things available. So like the price of all these things go down, but like the quantity of the economic activity goes up. Okay. Okay. And I, I think I'd agree with that. Like we'll see, you know, people do more with less. Um, and you know, it's not necessarily that, um, certain things will stop. I, I think a video game development, you know, <clears throat> there was like, um, that, that guy on Twitter who he was a, a designer, he would design like uh 3d models for video games and his job ended up getting replaced by, um, you know, mid journey and AI, what well, not replaced, but s- some other guy that was less talented ended up doing it, you know, using those tools. And I envision instead of, you know, like maybe instead of less people doing 3D design, uh, they're doing more, more design. I think of the game like Destiny. um, I don't know if you ever played Destiny, but they had a really slow development process and they would, uh, they didn't like designing new bosses or like new races uh, in in game because it took so much work. And so I just, I see kind of like what you're saying that is like, well, now they will do those things. So it's not that necessarily they'll get rid of those people. They'll just go do the things they've always wanted to do. But on the other end of the spectrum, uh, recently I had to get a, a contract for, um, I, I was uh, doing uh, advertising on the podcast. I needed to get a contract. And instead of hiring a lawyer, I just used chat gpt and and so i I think there are also jobs that will just outright (laughs) yeah they will outright get replaced by ai and not just ai like you know robotics you look at um california raised the minimum wage for fast food restaurants and uh mcdonald's is now automating a lot of those positions um and i think we're going to see as technology advances more and more of this kind of behavior where as people can replace humans with robots and ai etc if these companies can like it's inefficient not to do it they will um you know the it, we do move more towards uh you know uh efficiency with companies cuz you know like you said um if i as one person can do what previously took a 100 person team then you know that's going to be far more lucrative for me as an individual than you know all of the stress and work and bloat of having a 100 person organization um so what do you think in your mind as technology does progress and as these jobs, some of these jobs do get replaced, what are people going to do? What are these, these, what are copywriters going to do and website designers? What are they going to do after this when, the, when, desi- when their jobs are gone and there's less jobs in general? So hustlers are always going to hustle. Like, I think that that's one of the most incredible things about uh, ju- just people that I've seen over like, like both in the military and like at business school and like in the startup like world people that uh, people that don't get their sense of identity from doing the specific thing but from like doing things are going to be completely fine right because like for the person who like just you know even if they spent a bunch of time like building up uh you know a, a ton of like domain specific skills what they also did at the same time was they learned how to how to build domain specific skills and so like that, that like piece of it where they can like do a hard thing, they're just going to see chat GPT, see where it replaced, like where it basically makes like the stuff that they've worked on, like not as like useful or earn secrety. And they're going to like take it and test it out and then just be 10 X better at what they were already doing if they want to stay there, or they'll be able to take that and apply it to something new and just like hustle there because this, this isn't going to be like 
uh, a uniform distribution of job replacement. It's going to be like specific like niches in the economy are just like, oh, yeah, no, we don't do this anymore. We just let ChatGPT do it um, or AI do it, whatever. But other places, it's going to take a long time for that to disrupt. Like there's still like not only are there still like software companies that have paper files like there's a whole era like there's a whole class of like early 2000s started companies that like are old companies even though they're like software companies they like provide like golf course management software or whatever like like we have tons of pieces of the economy that just like haven't even really integrated computers and the internet which is crazy but like Aside from those things, like the the people that like hustle and want to change things, they're going to be fine. The people that don't are probably going to feel uncomfortable if they don't like try to learn some stuff. Because like the the beauty of where we are right now is that it's so much easier to do certain things, but it's still really like painful and and hairy to like do the end to end thing. We were talking about like making websites and stuff like putting code onto a page for a website is step zero. Like the the real parts of it are A-B testing the website to make sure that it's converting the way that you want, selling the product that like people actually want to buy on the site, like getting people to come to it. Like it, it's like there's a whole funnel of people interacting with technology that it isn't really, like it can be uh, accelerated by, by AI tools, but it's not like fully replaced anytime soon. And there's always value in people that are like, willing to willing to like internalize the the clutch like the the point of a firm is to reduce frictional costs between different parts of the value chain like if we're being super abstract and i see ai as like a tool that facilitates that mission but it doesn't change the fact that you need to kind of like connect all of the lego pieces to make valuable things so you see it mostly augmenting our abilities like technology will augment uh people who are willing to go out and hustle and who want to put in the work and want to learn and are adaptable those people are not only going to survive but they will absolutely thrive but those who want to be told what to do and want to be more like cogs in a machine they're going to struggle because as time goes on the cogs will get replaced by you know actual machines actual ai and so you have to on some level as an individual have some sort of like creative expression and um, have to be able to think in a way that you're able to adapt and build on your own without necessarily always being told what to do. hundred percent. Like it's, it's very much a, I view the, the gap between zero and one, like something not existing and something existing, whether it's like, like a job or a startup or like a, like a podcast, like, most of the work has been in the first 90% over the, like up till now, but now we can basically focus on the 10% of making things like truly unique and new and interesting because we've like gotten rid or in some ways like reduced the amount of that 90% kludge that is like the grind of doing interesting things. And you think that this will have a really beneficial effect on what's called the creator economy. In your mind, you have this thesis that as technology progresses, as a lot of these jobs are, you know, uh, augmented or replaced by AI and, and, you know, everything else, that the creator economy is really going to be much bigger than a lot of people are currently giving it credit for. Yeah, 100%. The like, so the big thread that has already happened, like outside of AI is that 
we used to have media that was controlled by a small group of people. And in a lot of ways, we still do, right? But you can think of like old Hollywood was the only thing that people could really consume when they wanted to watch like entertainment stuff. And that kind of like trickled down to, you know, radio and then TV and then but like the history of TV. But like what the internet unlocked was the ability to look at like a single person a lot more than just uh, like a two hour chunk for a movie. And it turns out that people really like watching people, not like necessarily stories about people, just straight people. Um, and that's something like Kurt Vonnegut, like a, like an author, like talks about in that, like the only interesting stories that like people really like bite into are about the journey of individuals. And like the, the power of the creator economy is really like the power of an individual to tell their story in ways that like is, is like unadulterated. Um, and like the way AI helps that is that it lets people get back like a ton of time. And so now you have this like dual problem of like people that have a bunch more time and there's like some with a proclivity to create and others with like a proclivity, like, Hey, I, I work hard and I want to like take some time to consume and relax. Like you basically unlock a ton of this like unspent time and energy. And some of it is going to like go into, you know, like finding other jobs, self-improvement, whatever. But I think a lot of it, and I think the pandemic helped with this a ton by showing people that like, hey, it's kind of nice to have a lot of time back because we're stuck in our house and we have to figure out stuff to do. Like that time needs to get spent somewhere because people are used to spending their time on things. And the, the only thing that I can think of that has continued to grow as the internet has grown is people like creating and consuming content uh, and like people push that forward every year. So like the, there's so much more interesting content on the internet every day. That's like more compelling to watch, which incentivizes people to do like to create even better content. So it's like this, this like virtuous cycle of like the content's better. So we spend more time watching it. So the creators have to make even better content. So more people watch. Can you just like briefly, well, I have two, uh, two things. Can you briefly explain what the creator economy is? And then part two of the question, I just don't want to forget to ask this is I want to talk about like, what is being a creator post AI when, you know, um, you can, with a couple prompts, create a website or with a couple prompts, uh, create a, you know, a piece of software. Is it necessarily the kind of content we're used to with Instagram posts or, you know, videos, or is being a creator post this really um, start to fall in line with being an entrepreneur in uh, a lot of different avenues that maybe hasn't been associated with being a creator before this? Yeah. So the creator economy, in my opinion, as just like one dude that is like fascinated with the space, uh, studying and building tools for it, is that it means a different thing to everybody, but it's broadly the the economic activity and the attention spent by people uh, following individuals like making their own stories. And so like there's some studio funded content that like I think falls into the creator economy, but like like YouTube kicking off this thing where people just watch people filming stuff in their house and that morphed into kind of like the the TikToks, the modern YouTuber, like with the Mr. Beast of the world, like that is kind of like the vibe of the creator economy more tangibly about like what that turns into on a money level it's the the no joke ad dollars that are spent on those videos that people are watching or essays like like writers and stuff are also part of the creator economy um 
but the um, but so the ad dollars spent on those videos, the merch those creators sell, the partnerships that they do, the brands that they're starting, you know, whether it's like Emma Chamberlain with coffee and Mr. Beast with Feastables, like those like all of those economic tendrils that are coming out of these individuals that just started making uh with making videos or something for other people to consume like that's what i what i personally consider to be the creator economy um it, it can kind of be summed up in like where are people spending their time like not in a non like personal interactive way like spending their time or spending their attention um on uh the the latter question about like what it turns into I think we're at the beginning of a fascinating era where the idea of a creator and the idea of an entrepreneur kind of mix together. Um, I mean, like, let's be real. Every creator is an entrepreneur right now, even if they don't consider themselves like that. Like they have to, in the face of overwhelming odds, come, like show up week after week and put stuff into the void and hope people like it and receive feedback from the market. Be like, okay, this video sucked. Nobody watched it. This one hit a little bit. Oh, I could maybe tweak the hook here, whatever. Like that's, that's entrepreneurship, except it's like starts with competing for views rather than competing for dollars, but views eventually turn into dollars. Um, I think what we're seeing with creators today is like the prototype of what is broadly known as an entrepreneur in 10 years. I think that, so startups have two problems that they have to solve. They have to build product and they have to build distribution, right? And so like as a startup, you have to build a product that is like good enough that people change the behaviors that they already have and like focus their attention, migrate all their their, you know, files into this new thing. That's really hard to do, but like that's like the startup uh that's where startups like usually start is building like a 10x better product. Then they have to solve this distribution problem to get everybody to know about this great product that they built. The crazy thing about the creator economy is that like you basically solve for distribution first. And so like solving for distribution first with your your like content product gives you what I call instant distribution in, you know, a year, five years, whatever, when you like when and if you decide to launch a product like Merch is a product that solves a problem for your audience base where they're like, hey, I love like this person. I vibe with their values. I want to express that to the world. Like that's product market fit for that audience. But it doesn't have to be this um, like it doesn't have to be in the bucket of like, oh, creators sell merch. That's how they make money. Like, no, that's that's great. And that's awesome. But like we have this model of like celebrities that are like hyper competent people, like old world celebrities, like he's never going to see this, but like a Ryan Reynolds of the world, like didn't come up through the creator economy, came up through the traditional like media economy. But what is he doing now? He's investing in companies and like meaningfully trying to shape the arc of those things. And I think like that's a point on the continuum of like creators just like learning about a domain that makes sense for them and then launching products themselves, not necessarily white labeled, but like no joke products themselves. And so like they they like are this bridge between an audience, which is like a group of potential customers and a solution for a problem that they all have. And they're like, like once you start pulling that thread, there's tons of creators that are uniquely poised to make incredible products. And like, I can, I can get into a, a ton of like details on my thesis there, but like, I'll, I'll take a breath there. No, that's really good. And, you know, as a creator myself, I know that I, I love creating um, content. I love creating videos. I love doing podcasts. I love like 
discussions and ideas and all of that. What, what I don't love is I don't love managing people. I, I don't love dealing with like legal paperwork. I don't, you know, all the boring stuff of a business. But, you know, I could see in the next five to 10 years that stuff doesn't exist anymore. Uh, like the your, your AI agent goes and does all that stuff for you. You're always everything's always filed on time. Um, all of your legal documents are always done, you know, in order. Uh, you don't have to have a, a hundred person team to run this massive company. So I could launch a startup myself with my AI agent. And you know, that's that. Um, and so I, I like that. That sounds really awesome. Um, and what you're essentially saying is, as this stuff expands, more people will be able to do these. Th- the barrier to entry to becoming an entrepreneur, to launching a startup, which it, there's a big barrier to entry. And I think it is pretty pretty restricted to a lot of Ivy Leaguers, right? Like um, you got to know the right people who can kind of walk you through uh, how to do these things. That is going to be open to a lot more people, a lot of Average people will be able to launch with a great idea because a lot of people have great ideas. They just don't have the means to execute on those great ideas. They will be able to ha- have a shot at launching those things because there's no, it's not like a $10 million, you know, raise they got to get to get their startup going. The startups like essentially, you know, low cost to, to launch. Um, they just need things, maybe perhaps like distribution, uh, what you can get distribution um, as a creator, or you can team up with the creator and, and launch that distribution. So I, I guess I see from what you're saying, a lot of the power is going to shift from places like Silicon Valley, where, you know, you do need currently today, you know, 10 million, 50 million, $100 million to launch these companies. Well, in the future, if you only need $10,000 to launch a company and in distribution, that, that power is going to shift a lot of it to the creator economy because they, they don't need money. Your money's not your number one biggest need anymore. It's just that distribution. And so um, average people teaming up with, you know, uh, those that have the distribution or just those with the distribution launching it themselves. Um, that, it sounds really, really interesting. And, and that is an interesting concept. I, I do want to dive into Web3, decentralization and crypto. How do you see those things tying in, like meaningfully tying into the creator economy? Yeah, so there, there's like a bucket of things to talk about with like crypto versus AI. Um, and I don't really think it's verse. I think it's like them blending together. And then there's a bucket of things to talk about of like what crypto, Web3, whatever you want to call it, uniquely enables. Um, and then there's a whole bucket of things of like when. When is it gonna going to enable it? Um, from a pure pragmatic perspective, I don't think any creators are going like like successful creators today are going to lean into like Web3 crypto stuff for at least 12 months, probably longer. Right. Like I think a lot of damage was done like late last year uh, at like as frankly, a lot of creators got burned for like trusting the the bad actors in the industry, um, which sucks. And it's it's not fun when you're building a startup that you're trying to bring these tools to uh, creators and like you know that if you reach out they're gonna be like you know I I am not touching crypto which like it's fair and I understand that but the things that it like uniquely enables um, aren't like a mass leaving of existing platforms because no intelligent creator is going to leave their audience of two hundred thousand people to like try a new thing like they'll run experiments on it they'll like lean into it they'll try to figure out like where are the inflection points that they can maybe like port some of their audience over and like claw back a little bit control to, to diversify but like it doesn't make sense to leave youtube if everybody that watches you is on youtube it just doesn't and like that that's honestly a thing i think in crypto people really overlook um, but 
the i like the the way that you can bring an nft as like a tool to coordinate and organize your audience and provide like an enduring touch point with a group of people that are really aligned with like your creator like like there's no reason why if you're like a game streamer that all of your discord mods can't have an nft that gives them a like basically a pass to you know an event every quarter that like you're hosting as a reward for those people that are like participating in your community. And like when you, when you kind of like take that, you basically like take these things that we're already doing, like tickets, like mementos, like the buttons you buy from an artist at like a, like a concert and just like adding a new tool to the creator toolkit. So it's like less of like a replacement of all of the things that they're already doing. And it's more of a way to like augment it in a way that like, provides value right then, but also um, is like more connective uh, than, than kind of like the ethereal things that we sell today. Like if you sell a ticket to a show, like, I, I don't know about you, but like I used to buy like physical concert tickets and like, you know, do, do my mosh pit thing. And then like, I love these tickets, but like we live so much on the internet right now that like, and, and will into the future, we can call it a metaverse, like, cause that's what it is. But that physical ticket, I can't like bring that in as part of my digital identity. And like Web3 tools is incredibly like Web3 tools like NFTs as a as like that uh, technology to facilitate the expression of your digital identity in places on the internet in a credible way is just like a, a way, like a way to extend and increase the the authentic engagement between you and the creator. So that's like uh, part of it. Um, on the AI side. The value of like okay content is like going to zero, right? Because like you and I can go into Chat GPT and like get a hundred crappy fiction stories right now, <laughs> and like with that like when you when you kind of like drown in a sea of content, like you need ways to pick out the real stuff from the noise, and so like there's a version, and by real stuff I mean like something that is credibly like i know for sure this is jesse's content it's not a deep fake of jesse talking about how much he you know look i don't know like so insert something cancelable here <laughs> and so like the 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 logic of like connecting like web3 connective tissue is like okay we know that i can generate a thousand like really terrible pieces of content and like lie and say jesse did it but if jesse has a private key that he signs for every piece of content that like i can decrypt without me knowing how it works but like like we we like have the ability to, to sign digital files and unsign them in like a trustless fashion to show that it's for sure jesse or cameron like you can't do that with one company being char in charge of those keys because like what happens is the one company that we build the entire infrastructure of the internet on, like a YouTube or a TikTok or whatever, like eventually they get big enough where their interests diverge from the community that they're serving. Like that's just the nature of like super large firms because they have to keep expanding. That's just how investing works um, or building, building uh, mature organizations works. Like you get to a point where the, the incentives are misaligned and then you're stuck with an internet that fully relies on this verification thing that is now getting like, I don't know, paid by Russia or paid by friggin' Hearst or one of these giant media companies to like only validate a certain part of the internet. And so you like, you turn this thing that was a public good into something that is now like maybe not overtly malicious, but at least like tipping the scales. And like, 
honestly, the best modern example of this is like Elon playing around with state funded media labels on Twitter. Like, regardless of what you think about it, it is like hurting the ability for anybody to like pay attention to any part of news on Twitter. And like that, that's what happens if you don't have a credibly neutral uh, way of validating things. And like Web3 stuff lets you do that. Web2 stuff also lets you do it, but you have misaligned incentives at scale. So essentially what Web3 allows is digital merch in a sense, like what used to be at a concert or a, you know an in-person event, you can now get that digitally. Uh, it allows digital collectibles and it allows you to verify someone's digital identity, um, which <clears throat> I agree that's going to be increasingly a, a massive problem because, you know, right now it's just photos, right? Like I can generate a photo. I'm sure within a year I'll be able to generate a photo of anyone doing anything. But give it a couple of years and the same thing is going to be a video. I'm, there's going to be people that are going to be able to generate a video of uh, Mr. Beast, a Mr. Beast video of like him and his crew doing Mr. Beast uh, style things, and it'll look like Mr. Beast. It'll sound like Mr. Beast. Everyone, nobody that's like a mega fan would be able to tell that this isn't a real video by Mr. Beast, but it was. It, it's just completely generated by AI. And a good example would be um, the Drake. Do you see the Drake song that came out recently? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. And so that's a, that's a really early example, but like, you know, um, musicians, like I'm going to be able, you know, not me, maybe, uh, but, you know, any average person can be able to release a Taylor Swift album that sounds like Taylor Swift. It's her style, but it, she never made it. It's not really her scene. And so I think digital identities are going to become increasingly important. Um, so I agree with you on that. One thing I wonder is, is, is crypto really going to, well, maybe it's not, is it going to be able to solve it? But I don't think in its current form it can, uh, just because we do have issues of like fake tokens, fake you know, uh, websites like that is a thing that's a problem in crypto too. So how do you see crypto necessarily f solving that issue of identity? Yeah. So identity is hard because it's actually, uh, like not, not to get like super political theory on it, but like identity is one of the most powerful things that the state controls, right? Like the ability for a government to say you exist or you don't exist is like, I would argue almost as powerful as like having a military, uh, because if you don't have an identity, you can't do anything like you can. I mean, you could probably make your way to like, I don't know, Southeast Asia and like, you know, just live on the beach. But like, that's really all you can do. You can't participate in like the the global economy if you don't have government papers in some way. I don't think that changes. And I, that like differs. Uh, that's like a differing opinion than a lot of people in crypto. The way that I see crypto helping chip away at this problem rather than solving all of the problems, because no technology solves all problems all the time, the is the pieces of it that are better than what exists before. Um, and I'll give a tangible example in a second. But the pieces of it that are better than what exists before will get integrated into what we look like, what we think of as a company today. And so like. The Ethereum blockchain exists. I can deploy a smart contract that like anybody can interact with on the world. And unless a government goes and smashes all of the Ethereum validator nodes all over the world, which and there's a lot of them, like that code is going to exist until those computers are smashed. That's crazy. That's brand new. We don't really know what that design space looks like. Um, and a lot of bad things can happen with that. 
but it's really cool to have a globally distributed virtual machine when previously you had to lie on, rely on AWS or whatever to like ship anything. Um, and all of the criticisms of like, uh, it's expensive, it's not as efficient, it's like, you know, like it's a solution looking for a problem, like all of those are like valid to an extent. But what's undeniable is that we have a new thing to build with. And when you have a new thing to build with, you basically just like try out a bunch of things until one hits. It's just like making content. Um, but so tangibly, what I see NFTs solving in potentially the next 20, uh, 12 to 24 months is coupons. It's like dumb and small and doesn't seem that important, but like coupons are like a multi-billion dollar industry that basically is just companies publishing like pictures of barcodes and strings of numbers that like exist on the internet and then you type them into your checkout at like on the on e-commerce store or if you still get newspapers you can clip them out and bring them to the grocery store app but so like digital coupons are basically a like are a huge arbitrage opportunity for um aggregators like if you go to coupons.com what that company is doing is scraping all of the internet that it possibly can to just like get a bunch of coupon codes that aren't as secure as those companies would like them to be and shoving them into coupon.com really valuable for customers but like for brands that are trying to build better relationships with their their like their customers and for creators that want to understand their audience coupons are just like I, I think like to me, they're the equivalent of like a crazy 70s technology that we like duct tape to the Internet. NFTs as a coupon gives the issuer uh, like meaningful visibility into who holds that coupon, who can spend it, what they're spending it on, like how like they can they can depending on how it's deployed, they can like turn it on and off. They can double the coupon if certain conditions are met. They can, you know, cut it in half or they can turn it off if they think it's being used illicitly. Like there, there's like a whole new design space that opens up when we take this like boring everyday object and like make it more useful. Uh, and like the so like crypto facilitates that because these companies don't need to rely on a company that solves like dynamic coupons. All you got to do is deploy a smart contract to the blockchain, which like people can do um, like by themselves if they want to learn or they can work with somebody to do it for them. But once it's deployed, the way that it was built continues to work. Whereas like if you issue a coupon like yourself or through a private company, like it can always turn into like, like that company can go out of business and then tracking coupons like goes away, things like that. And so it's like this, like it's not a complete changing of, of how these things work, but it's like bringing a new tool to the the existing problem set that solves it in new and interesting ways that like I think brings more value to both parties. So as you were talking, it, it did make me think that perhaps one of the ways that we could solve digital identities would be, um, I think there's a lot of really interesting cross sections with AI and crypto because AI or, or crypto is, is essentially... Is, essentially this idea of replacing centralized pieces or components in society with code. Um, <clears throat> but one of the problems is like you might have an intent for a, a piece of code that that intent could get skewed over time as like things change in society. So how do you keep that code up to date with your original intent um, without involving people that then become the centralized components you initially kind of wanted to replace? 
And I think AI could could help definitely solve that and make things you know less um, less prone to central centralized interference. Uh, but, you know, one easy way for the identity thing is I was thinking about tokens, right? Like uh, there are fake tokens out there, you know. Um, well, th- the problem isn't that like the blockchain doesn't recognize those are fake. The problem is that people don't do the due diligence on those things. So if an AI could, if there was an AI that was like a, you know, in charge of like essentially um, verifying on the, on the database, like the, uh, you know, the verified database, this individual is this individual, um, I think some sort of AI enabled smart contract could solve that issue. And maybe that's something we see in the next couple of years where, um, internet identity does become a lot easier to solve once we have AI enabled smart contracts that are able to gather all that because, you know, without a centralized figure, we can't currently do that. But with uh, an AI enabled smart contract, we could, it could have the understanding and the logic to potentially, um, be able to do that. I was going to ask you, how do you see the relationship between creators and their audience evolving within a uh, like a Web3 powered economy? Oh, man, this is one of my favorite uh, like topics to think about. Um, are you familiar with the creator Stone Mountain 64? No, no, I'm not. So he's a, a Call of Duty streamer, a really sharp dude. I followed him for like almost a decade now. Um, he he is a. Uh, very good at community management and building relationships with his fans, like as many creators are. Um, but one of the the incredible things that I've seen him do over the past few months is um, Activision just released online custom matches, uh, which for me brings me back to my like Halo 2 online days. But so the the custom matches that Stone is bringing into his content stream, like he's bringing 150, like a full like Warzone lobby into a custom server and doing shoddy snipes or like, you know, back the old war, uh, back, back with the old modes, or he's doing like RPGs and riot shields, or and he's doing like the scenario driven content that is like fully powered by his fans. And like, obviously Mr. Beast has a bit, has like mastered the art of getting his fans to come in and do challenges. But I view all of these, uh, early integrations of like bringing an engaged community into the fun, into the show as, as really like an early signal of what, uh, the, the value of web three can bring to the table. And so one of the big terms that, that comes up a lot in web three is composability. I mean, the idea of composability is that somebody can create a thing and then somebody else can take that thing and add to it or remix it or adapt it or whatever um, that like you can kind of do in web two, but like uniquely with code, which is like how all of this starts because most of the people early, early in crypto are highly technical and think about it from like a, like a deep technology lens. When I write code in classic Silicon Valley way, like it lives in a private repository that me and my team can see and like generally nobody else can see it. There's open source code, but that's like the exception rather than the rule. With Web3 code, all of it is public by default. Like there's some nuances with it, but code being public by default changes how people write code, changes how people think about code and changes how people interact with interact with code. And like, so me as a developer can be like, oh, I see this really useful piece of code there. 
before I would have had to like figure out how to write this code myself because I couldn't see it. Um, but now I can just look at it. I can use it if I want, or I can like fork it, like like copy it, and then like do something new with it and remix it in a way that like I couldn't do before. Custom matches in Call of Duty, like applied to uh, video game assets that are like living on chain or in some some way, shape, or form, means that. Call of Duty can put out like a bunch of new weapon skins and then another game can like take those weapon skins and integrate it into their experience. And so like like being familiar with the creator economy, like one of the most compelling things for creators to do is to kind of like create in a cohort. So there's like a group of people working together. And what really like sometimes gets people attention, and I think I think Arak, if you're familiar with him, is like was a master of this, but like taking somebody uh, who has an, an audience that like, you know, maybe is bigger than yours or like they might be, you know, further along or been doing it longer than you and taking what they're doing and then creating something uniquely interesting for that community. So you're like, like bouncing off of like bouncing ideas and content and, and like, you know, engagement off of each other so that like both audiences come together and get this like uniquely new, interesting thing. And so like, Web3 enabled creation like takes what already exists today in kind of like an ad hoc form and formalizes it in in like with technology so that you can explicitly do more of that, which I think creates like much more interesting kind of collisions of ideas. The Obsidian Council is my private community where I share monthly research and joining gets you access to some pretty awesome perks, including monthly research reports that dive deep into the crypto market, current trends, and projects that I'm looking at each month. The Airdrop Guide, a monthly guide devoted to hunting the most lucrative airdrops in the space. Obsidian Council members were able to make anywhere from $1,000 to $8,000 during the last Arbitrum airdrop. The Obsidian Council community, which is a private discord where we work together to try to grow our wealth, share different strategies that are working for us, and find up and coming projects. Yearly in-person meetups where we get together in real life, spend the weekend at the beach together, or hit up some awesome crypto conference. We just launched the Airdrop Masterclass, a full premium level $300 course, which is a completely free and included perk for all Obsidian Council members. This is designed for somebody who has zero experience farming airdrops to get them started and get them up to speed so they can start hunting some of the most lucrative airdrops in the space. And it even includes some tutorials on hunting some of the most popular airdrops that are out there currently. We have yield strategy walkthroughs, monthly live meetings, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes for anyone interested in joining, but keep in mind, we do limit the availability for slots each month. Do you see a place for, you know, maybe community-owned brands as, you know, um, not only are these community members watching these influencers uh, and, and as a part of this creator economy, but perhaps like they are part of that brand and not only are they, you know, going out and advertising it, not only are they wearing it, but have some sort of like maybe, you know, web three enabled ownership into that brand um, that allows them to govern it, to govern maybe the next drop or the next release, or maybe it's a video game and um, kind of how you were talking about earlier, maybe they're detailing the next DLC that's going to come out or the next uh, character, you know, type that character class that's going to come out or whatever. Um, do you see that as a potential of, you know, web three enabled web three enabled creator economy or? Absolutely. I, I think so. Uh, for context, I taught uh, leadership at the army's officer candidate school. So I think about like 
how you get groups of people to like work together. Or I've, I've thought about that a lot uh, and then obviously applied it a bunch in, in startups. Getting people to focus on one thing is hard. But the crazy thing about these, these successful creator communities is that you have a bunch of people that are aligned on a vision. And so like the first answer to the question of like, can you start from nothing and get a group of 50 people to steward a brand? Like, I think that's really, really hard um, because everybody has their own kind of pet thing. Some people are paying more attention than others. And like, after you do three months of being excited about this idea, the people that like are putting in the effort, like are kind of feel burned because the other people are pulling their weight. Like everybody's been on a school project team where somebody wasn't pulling their weight. So like starting with that model of like, we're going to build a like, community stewarded brand without any like history of success, I think is hard. But for creators that like reach a critical mass of people really excited about what they're doing, I think there's enormous potential for creators to like humbly give over some of that control or share that control with the community. It's a really hard thing for somebody who really cares about what they're doing, especially if their identity is tied to the brand. But I think what you get out of it is like better content, community members that are even more engaged with it. And ultimately, like you build something better than what you could have done by yourself, because like you as an individual or your team can't read the minds of your your consumers yet. We, we don't have Neuralink yet, but the like uh, but the potential of like sharing creative and economic uh, control of some of these things is is really exciting. Um, kind of scary, uh, especially like it, it's very different than, than how all of this works today. Um, but the, the best creators already lean into community feedback really, really hard. Like, can you imagine, I guess I'm thinking about like Starbucks, imagine a community owned Starbucks when AI makes things so easy to start, start a company makes it so easy that a lot of the like really minute details of running a company kind of fall to the wayside. And imagine a community is like, hey, we're going to create a, you know, we have a DAO. We're going to create a community-owned version of Starbucks. We're going to decide on the menu. As a collective intelligence, we're going to come up with, like, what we think is going to be the best fit. Um, and AI maybe <clears throat> helps, you know, lubricate that process a little bit more. So it, it, there, there's there's definitely issues with DAOs where it's like it's everyone wants to have their say. And so the group kind of devolves into chaos. But imagine the AI could, like maybe add like a centralized uh code entity to that that makes things more cohesive um could we see like a, a national brand that's community owned there's no like company behind it. it's run by a dow it, it does that seem like a possibility to you uh, or is that just kind of like uh you know a pipe dream so i think I think it's definitely possible. The The way that I view, and like I'm, a, I'm an organizational design nerd, if that is even a thing, but like the way that I view the short-term impact of things like DAOs, which like at their core are effectively an improvement in how we govern decisions that entities make. Like I view the near-term impact of DAOs as shifting the center of power of control in a company away from like, like in tech, for example, you basically have the founding team and the board of the company that like make a lot of the decisions, if not all of them. Um, and in the extreme cases, you basically have Elon Musk, which makes all of the decisions. But 
when you have uh, or like when you reduce the friction for people with skin in the game to participate and the skin in the game is really important because like you don't want to listen to the person that like doesn't show up to any of the meetings and then like has an opinion like is that person's opinion isn't really valuable but like i think we can shift the center of gravity in some of these organizations away from like founder plus board to founder plus board plus some senior staff and then some sort of like vote from the employees of that company, and crucially, also some sort of vote from the customers of that company. Um, and like, that wasn't really a, that's not customary today. Like the closest we get to that is like a company becoming the main character on Twitter for a day, and then like getting basically like shamed into changing what they're doing. Like that is a prototype for customers actively participating and shaping the arc of companies. Like, I don't think overnight we end up with like a fully like dowed Starbucks. Um, and especially in terms of like franchise franchisee models, like that's like a whole crazy like space. But I do think that like when you get people excited about a core IP or service or, or some sort of like product, you can get like really qualified folks with skin in the game to help make better decisions. Like, for example, I live in Boston. If there's something that I'm like, like uniquely passionate about, like I, I really like my buddies. Uh, my, my, my buddy runs a breakfast bar company called Over Easy Bars, like not trying to plug it. I just really like the bars. But it would be awesome if I could help him shape where I think these what stores they should be in, because like. I, I know where I live. I know where I'd want that stuff to be. And he has a set of business decisions he has to make about like, do I try to convince Trader Joe's to like carry these? Do I like try to do it in like smaller shops? And so like though the, that kind of like impact today requires me to basically go, go like buy shares, go to a shareholder meeting, like write a proposal, get that stuff. in. like all of this is like, you know, 80s, like old outdated technology. But me being able to like, lightning interact with an app on my phone because I own like the, you know, over easy bars, NFT, whatever, like that's really cool. And I think a lot of people would like to be able to shape that if it wasn't such a big impact on their life. And so I think like that's the stepstone to a fully like, like decentralized distributed brand. But like once you can do those types of things, like the, the rest of it is just incremental effort. Okay. Okay. And I could see that. I guess what I'm more thinking is like, Essentially, a CEO is a giant decision engine, right? Like you run decision making things through, a, you know, decisions through a CEO. So and if you have a good CEO, they're able to make good decisions. If you have a bad one, they make bad decisions. But at what point can an AI just digest what, you know, maybe some of these great CEOs have done in the past and they can literally replace the CEO as a better decision engine? And then you have an AI that replaces a CFO or, you know, uh, all, I feel like a lot of those positions could be replicated and replaced with an AI counterpart that does those same things. And in that case, you have a company that's run by, um, you know, these these various AIs and it's the people group, um, the, the tribe kind of that represents that company that gets to play around with it. And again, the barrier to entry to start these things is so much lower when, you know, a lot of these elements do get replaced and are, uh, you know, much cheaper to get going. And so it's not like a, a massive upfront investment, but it's not like we couldn't get that upfront investment if we needed it. You've seen with some of these NFT raises, they, they pulled 10 million, 30 million, $50 million off an NFT launch. So you have this NFT uh, that launches the decentralized Starbucks, you know, or whatever. The actual um, 
kind of core uh, team behind the company, the board and all that stuff you mentioned, they're all AIs. And, you know, maybe you have an AI that's like meant to run like Steve Jobs, uh, and that's the CEO. And then you got to, you know, your CFO and you build your fantasy team of, you know, AI replicants. Um, And I'm talking not right now, maybe, maybe 10 years in the future, right? And then you have the DAO that governs kind of where they want the brand to go. They have ownership in the brand in the same way we see with NFT tribes. Um, in NFT tribes, they do a lot of these same kind of things. But because they're a part of it, they feel like they have a lot more ownership of it, and therefore they support it. And so I'm just wondering, as technology progresses um, and becomes it becomes easier to do these things, we're going to see more of them spun up. What is your c- competitive element well, I think it might become the community that, that is behind it. And why does the community like, if the coffee tastes the same, they're both amazing brands, why does one community support it versus not? And I think it could be kind of like, you know, I support blank NFL team or I support blank soccer team because it's part it's my tribe or I, I support, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican because it's my tribe. I think we start to see things, you know, um, kind of funnel down into tribalism and then those tribes have a vote or, or they kind of run and produce that company. But at, at its core, those companies are just decentralized companies run by essentially AI, maybe s- smart contracts and different things like that. Yeah. So I, I kind of like parse that into like three separate questions. Um, the first one is, uh, are people uniquely special? Uh, right. Like, because that's that's what we're we're asking is like, can AI replace a person? So are people special in some way, shape or form? The second question is, why do we buy things and why do we participate in things? Um, and then the third one is uh, who's on the hook? Because that's that's really what most of the legal system is oriented for is like deciding who's on the hook for what bad thing. Right. Like there's no there's there's very little lawmaking that was designed to be like this good thing happened, let's reward this person. It's almost always like, ah, oh, something bad happened, what are we gonna do now? So like, there the are three separate but related questions. On the uh, AI piece of it, I think that if you play the tape all the way out to the end, um, there are pretty much very, there, there's like very few things that can't be replaced by a competent enough uh, AGI. Like, and I, I'm like switching from AI to AGI because like I, that G, the general intelligence in artificial general intelligence is important to handle all of the errors and the edge cases. Because like when you're making uh, hard decisions with imperfect imp- information, which is like ostensibly what leaders of companies do, like you have to make a decision. You can't do the chat GPT thing and say, I'm just an AI. I'm not the expert in this, but this is what I think. Like you, you can't do that. You have to make the decision and you have to own the outcome of that decision, whether or not it was the right one. Um, whether or not CEOs today do that is a very different question, but like that's what that position is for. Um, that's what like leadership is for. So I think people can get replaced, but that brings us to like the third question of like, when the AI makes a bad decision, when AI McDonald's makes the coffee that's so hot that it scalds someone's thighs, like who's on the hook for that? Like if there's no people running the company, like the way LLCs work today, which is the closest thing that we kind of have to a DAO model in the existing legal system, the like depending on the circumstances, like the liability can fall to the partners of that entity. So like 
not only are you like participating in this DAO, you're also like the upside of the, the DAO that's running AI McDonald's, you're also participating in the liability of that, which I don't think people have super explored in terms of like what trade-offs they want to make with that. And like that's part of the the like friction between today and a fully autonomous thing. Um, but I think that can be can be solved. And there's gonna be certain people that are like, yes, this is worth it to me. Um, and then kind of like in the middle, why do we buy stuff? Like, I agree with like kind of what I think your conclusion is, is that like we mostly buy stuff we vibe with. Like the the teams that we like, we like them because of a specific set of circumstances in our life and family and connections and, and emotions that we tie to that team. And in a world where we've commoditized all of the other pieces of it, like there's actually a really fascinating like secret history of D2C brands that like, you know, all of the different, you know, like men's grooming products and stuff that have popped up over the 10 years, like a lot of them are made in the same factory. And it's like that last mile of like vibes attached to raw product that does make the difference. And so like, you know, there's a there's a generous way to read that and a not generous way, way to read that. But it basically, I think, underscores the point you're making of like, no, this isn't a crazy like vision of what the future can be as long as we figure out like the technical problems, but we're hand waving that like we figure out the technical problems and we figure out like how to handle the error cases when stuff goes wrong or like horribly wrong and just like through no malicious intent of their own, like the robot arm serving the coffee like might smack somebody in the face like that machines just work the way that they work and somebody has to be on the hook for that so that's like my only thing that i think is like an, an outstanding question well wouldn't corporations i mean corporations already would be like a legal entity that like you know if there's something goes wrong it's not necessarily the ceo that gets in trouble it's the corporation which is not really a person at all so couldn't it be the same way with an you know something like this where um, the corporation will have to pay the fines, yeah, you know, out of the profits that that corporation makes. Um, and maybe there's a, you know, a legal, I, I, I'm pretty confident legal counsel is a lot of that is going to be replaced by AI. And so maybe it has its own legal counsel that, you know, does everything legally they can do. Um, you know, and, and maybe that that whole system has to adapt based off the feedback of like, hey, you're doing this thing wrong and pay the fines. But I guess I don't see how that would be too much different than than a current modern day corporation, right? Yeah, I mean, like the kind of going back to the people like watching people, I also think like judges like watching people too. And like we put yeah, in a, company... in a courtroom, yeah. Yeah, and so like the the and, and like the I mean I'm I'm on the same page. Like I think that this is a model that like can exist and you know probably will to some degree. Even especially considering like uh, Mr. Beastburger, right? He was able to spin up locations all across the U.S. like overnight with the ghost kitchens. And so I feel like this this idea isn't even that far away in that sense, right? Like uh, you spin up a DAO, you spin up um, the AI components still missing. It's it's not quite fully there, but you know a lot of these components can can be solved with like the website um, design and all that. Uh, probably within the next couple of years, and then you spin up a ghost kitchen. Maybe that's the first way it goes. You have a ghost kitchen restaurant across the U.S. that's run by a DAO. Maybe that's like the first kind of iteration, and then it just keeps expanding um, because it's just inherently cheaper and more efficient than you know a legacy you know thousand person corporation running things yeah like the 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 only like nuance there that i'd call out is like the the comparison of like 
a small team of people that are like full-time focused on uh, like making the operations of Beast Burger work and like going to all of these restaurants and being like, Hey, we'd like you to go and train in our like school so that you can offer or offer this, this product. Like you, you kind of have to like figure out, can a small team of people that are doing this for their full-time job, like make, can, can a DAO, which is like by definition, like more distributed, more friction between communication, like can that entity do the thing as well, or at least good enough as that? Like, I think the answer is like, yes, but it's not as obvious as like, okay, getting a hundred people to all chip in and then no one's really running the ship like that. We, yeah. We've seen DAOs that that didn't really work. Yeah. And I guess on some level, I would see maybe like uh, it'll be interesting to see how people play around with this sort of concept. But it's kind of like, uh, you know, you do have some crypto protocols that they'll elect like a head of the protocol, right? Like um, Sushi has their head chef. And so maybe some of these things they elect from within the DAO. Um, it's like a hybrid model. There's a AI CEO, but there's like a, a person that also represents the community. They're just... Uh, you know they're they're managed by the community and if they decide to part from community values then they get the boot and you know somebody else gets you know, to replace them or whatever anyway I, I let's move on real quick um a couple other things i wanted to cover one of the things i want to cover is that you know we talked about um, a fake mr beast video we talked about that drake song that was drake rapping wasn't really drake it's actually a really good song um they got really mad about it the record label pulled it because it was too good of a song. You know what I mean? Like, um, it, it, I think it's kind of scaring some of these artists and they're wondering like, what's going to happen if this is, uh, if this is doable today, what happens in two or three years when anyone could spin this stuff up? I, today, right now, uh, you could spin up an ad campaign with a photo of pretty much any celebrity, um, you know, supporting your brand, ho holding your coffee, wearing your watch, wearing your clothes, whatever. Um, that could be done with mid journey, uh, or, you know, whatever AI today, what do you how do you see that kind of evolving like are celebrities gonna be you know maybe get royalties from these things and, and say hey yeah you can use my image in these advertising campaigns as long as they don't you know they're not in these categories and i get royalties you can use my you can create fake mr beast videos as long as i get royalties like create fake drake songs what do you how do you vision that space evolving yeah so i think i would pay really close attention to how communities are reacting um, and the great artists do, right? Like when when Eminem released an album and it like like his super fans were like, hey, this this isn't it. Like he's he had to take that on the chin and then release a better album later. And so like there's gonna be like artists that are against this all the way, but I think the history of media is littered with a bunch of artists that like really tried to fight the things that uh, scared them uh, when in fact like the the thing that matters at the end of the day is like what do your fans care about and so the like I like I, I'm a Drake fan I'm not like a huge fan but like I liked the song and the level of fan that I am I would be like I would listen to more of this because it's like you know in the bucket of like when I want to scratch that Drake itch like that would that would scratch it and so if that opinion is the majority opinion of an audience's fan base. Like, I think the artist needs to like figure out how to lean into it. Right. Because like there's a version of it where we're talking about our CEO special, like our artist special. And I think like the answer is like broadly, yes, as the, 
as kind of like the, the the captain or the figurehead or like the the leader of the vibes that they're curating, um, but maybe not necessarily in the specifics of all of that is getting generated because like very few artists today mix all of their own songs. Very few artists play all of the instrument instruments on every track, and I think like the next uh, the next like iteration of that might feel like a much bigger jump than what we like the trend that we were already doing, which is like, hey, there's a team of people making this to like, hey, there's just an AI that like captures my vibe and creates music that sounds like it. Like, but I still view it along that same continuum of like the artist shifting from having to physically with their hands do all of these things to create music to really more like uh, expressing themselves through these new tools. Um, on a tangible note, what does that mean for the artists? Like if they create the songs themselves, like the AI songs themselves through a team, like I think it looks pretty similar to what is today. If other people are creating this, I think we we basically have to like watch how IP law shakes out. Like the way that intellectual property works is like, I mean, that that's a super broad statement, but like if you are making stuff and claiming it comes from this person and it doesn't like you can't really do that and make money on it. Like the way YouTube handles kind of those channels is when people upload these channels, uh, like they just give that record label the money that should have been to them. And I think we're going to see a lot of like micro decisions around hey, this is clearly a Drake knockoff. Like any ad revenue from this video is going to go to Drake um, until we, we basically build different systems and different interfaces that handle it better. And, but I think it's like on all of the artists to like really try to figure out how to lean into this stuff if their fans want it. Like some, some artists, their fans are going to be like, no, I just want the real thing, even if it objectively sounds as good. Because again, it's like you're listening to the music, yeah, but you're also like listening to the artist as kind of like the architect of the vibes that they're generating. What do you think about like, think of like uh, Andrew Tate. Like, I don't like that guy, but uh, you, there, was a, there was a time when he was just everywhere because he essentially had all of his followers constantly uploading clips of him uh, on every social media network. And so he, he kind of like went from no one to this overnight success. He was everywhere. And I imagine like on a bigger scale, let's say like Taylor Swift says, hey, uh, you can create AI-enabled music from me. Like, I just get the royalties, I get the kickbacks, but create as much as you want. And so, you know, people are creating AI Taylor Swift electronic albums, AI rap albums, like uh, all the kind of things you could think of, of like, you know, what would be cool, you know, another Taylor Swift country album. Um, and suddenly, Taylor Swift's everywhere. There's like hundreds of Taylor Swift albums. You pick and choose the ones you really like. She's pulling in royalties versus, you know, Drake over here. He's like, hey, you can't create any AI content. I'm only going to put, you know, an album out every one, couple of years. It's going to be my album. Do you think the Drakes of the world will be able to really survive in that kind of environment when, you know, Taylor Swift, uh, she's getting flooded everywhere. Like everyone is seeing her because there's just abundantly more content uh, around her brand, right? She she becomes a brand herself where Drake is, um, you know, it's much more niche to just like when he releases an album but you know are people going to really care about that album when all their other artists you know they have already 50 albums they could listen to from them um and you know maybe they're overwhelmed with uh, the amount of options they currently have and aren't quite as interested i don't know if that makes sense but yeah man the i mean it's 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 an amazing question and there's a an ancient parable that that i think is is good to to, to think about and it's uh, an old song called video killed the radio star uh, not not sure if you ever heard of it, but like 
Yeah. But so like when we invent new mediums to consume things and like while we're still listening to AI via like audio, I, I like I consider that to be kind of like a new medium of expression. You have winners and losers like the radio isn't dead, like but it's a very different thing than it was 50 years ago. And so like there's seven billion people. There's like seven and a half billion, I think, now people in the world. If you can get 100,000 people to give you a dollar every year, like you can make a living as a as an artist. And so I think like the meta of being a like a like a like a musician or artist like is absolutely changing. Um, but like the the core piece of like people wanting to listen to music, like I don't think has. Uh, and so like when you're thinking about the competition between these artists, it's like an extension of the existing dynamics that already play out because like artists that adapt their music releases to to be more TikTok native, you know, getting to the chorus way faster, songs being shorter, like like basically because like artists have adjusted their styles to TikTok, like that exact thing is going to happen with AI generated music. Like there there's a version of it where like the smart artists realized they could put out a 10 hour like lo-fi Taylor Swift AI generated track. And like that's maybe that's like the most valuable thing that like t- like T-Swift can do with her IP. Like we don't know. And these artists are going to experiment. Um, but like, again, it's like if you want to be a competitive artist in like an industry that a lot of people want to compete in, you have to lean into what's working. And I mean, to me the AI Drake song like was working and being salty about it is like, like cool. You, you have the right to do it, but it's not, it's not going to do you any favors over the next few years. And I agree. I, I think that it's going to be beneficial for these people that do have a big brand or, a, you know, are well known to distribute themselves as, you know, as far as possible. Like, you know, Taylor Swift's doing modeling gigs all over the world, but she's not actually there. They're just using her likeness. Um, she's releasing all these albums, but she doesn't have to put any of the work in. Uh, I think probably within the next 20 years, she's acting in these films and she's the star of these films that she never sets foot on set. And she's in these commercials that she never actually had to do anything for. And so that's kind of awesome from her standpoint is like, I don't have to do any of the work and I get all of the benefit. Um, but also scary, you know, to consider like, you know, what if it's a ad you don't want to be in or, you know, whatever. Uh, so maybe you have an approval team uh, for that. But then I think, you know, is, is Taylor Swift's, is it the Taylor Swift's that are really the musicians of the future or is it the Mr. Beast's? Is it the Emma, Emma Chamberlain's? Um, is it these people that aren't even musicians uh, that everyone wants to hear music from? Um, or, you know, maybe it's even people uh, people don't like. Maybe uh, the future musicians that everyone's into is joe biden and donald trump and you know it's their rap albums or whatever uh i don't really know what it becomes when you don't have to actually have necessarily the talent to release it um and it can be all ai generated (laughs) you see what i'm saying like what does that look like yeah so i mean good content's good content man like have you seen the 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 joe biden donald trump uh obama cod tiktoks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but Dude, that sounds funny. They're so good, but they're basically you know trash talking each other over you know the like uh, over playing online games, and it's obviously like not real, but it's great content. And so like the users know best, the audience knows best. Like they're going to to like and share the stuff that is working. Um, 
the, what I will say as kind of like a, a thing to pay attention to is that attention uh, diffusion is a real thing. And so like they're like we think of creators as like this monolithic thing that do a bunch of different things, but actually you don't have one audience usually as, as a, a creator, unless you do one specific thing. Like if you're doing multiple things, you, you really have different uh, portals and onboarding spots for people into like your universe of content. Um, Andrew Schultz has a really good interview of like explaining this piece, but like, he um, kind of like took off uh, as like a comedian on YouTube and podcaster through a specific content series he did about like ranting on YouTube. But then he also does these like podcast conversations with other comedians and he also does other types of content and like and he also does stand up. And so like some people know him as like just the stand up dude. Some people know him as the rant dude. Some people know him as the podcast dude. And like all of those people are his audience, but they perceive him as like a like a brand persona differently. And so like we're here talking about Mr. Beast turning into a musician where in fact, like the question might be like, who, like there might be people that are just onboarded and don't know Mr. Beast really as anything else that like anything other than a musician. And like that's like a, a perfectly valid and effective way to, to kind of like generate excitement around a, a creator and IP base. Um, but it's like a little bit different of a, of a problem. The, the real world comp comparison for this is uh, I think Donald Glover. And so like he started his career as a comedian and on, um, you know, like community. And he did like move like movies, like mystery team as like a funny dude. He morphed that like funny dude in entertainment into like a like successful music career. And then now he's he's working on other projects too, kind of like at this intersection of like design and creation. And like that's crazy to like see someone who's like one so good at so many different things, um, especially before AI makes it really, really easy to spin up like six songs. Um, but two, it's like a good it's a good test of like the type of person that wants to follow Donald Glover through all these pieces. And there's like, like I consider myself one of those people that like have been really impressed with his breadth of, of the ability to create. Um, but like a lot of people don't know the other pieces of it. And like, so it'll be like, it won't be as like clean as, you know, you're this super, super creator, like a Beyonce. It'll be like, people know you as this, this, and this. And then eventually maybe they like understand this whole picture piece of it. Um, but it's, it's, it's not as like clean and it doesn't have to be as clean as all that. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation. Just last question. If people want to stay up to date with you and what you're up to, um, where can they follow you and where can they do that? Yeah. So, uh, three good spots. Um, best one is to follow my blog. It's, uh, written. If you want some, uh, literary content in your day, I write kind of essays about the problems that I'm, I'm solving at a startup, uh, and just kind of like lessons that I'm learning along the way. That's uh, wiser.xyz w y s r dot x y z um if you're on twitter follow me there i'm at frozenfire 42 and if you're on farcaster uh, or you're interested in farcaster uh re like hit me up on twitter and i'll get you on farcaster but i'm cameron on farcaster at cameron awesome and as always people remember investing in crypto is risky you should always do your own research nothing we said here today is investment advice i'm not your financial advisor and it's up to you to do your own due diligence on your own investments you're a grown adult act like it and start taking responsibility for your own decisions and remember, stay steady, lads.